Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and I've got kind of an intense episode for you this week. I'm talking about the album Depravity by the band A Plea for Purging. This is a record that means a lot to me and has a lot of parallels with my own personal journey. So I hope you guys really enjoy what I think about this album. And if you guys have never heard of A Plea for Purging before, definitely make sure to check them out because this record is absolutely awesome. And I can't wait to uh, share my thoughts about it with you. So the other night I was watching Return of the Jedi on my Samsung Galaxy Tab A8 on Disney+. And there's a part of that movie that I always had trouble truly understanding. It's the part at the end when Darth Vader and the Emperor are trying to convert Luke to the dark side. And the Emperor keeps trying to bait Luke into starting a fight with his own father. He even straight up says, Take your Jedi weapon. Strike me down with it, and your journey to the dark side will be complete. And I always took issue with that because it never quite made sense to me, like the way they were trying to explain it. Because in my mind, let's say Luke did give in to his anger and decided to murder Darth Vader right then and there. Is the movie implying that Luke would suddenly just start working for the Empire right then and there? Like, would Palpatine take him to the Empire's HR department and start having him fill out tax paperwork? Because in my mind, it was more like, couldn't he have just killed Darth Vader and Palpatine and then sabotaged the Death Star and flew off into the sunset with his friends and, you know, lived happily ever after? Like, no, obviously, right? There, there had to be some reason why he couldn't do that. I could just never figure out why that was. Now, granted, I didn't just randomly have this thought. I've actually been thinking about it ever since I saw the movie when I was a kid. The first time I saw Star Wars, I actually recorded the broadcast on USA Network, like with commercials and everything. I recorded all three movies, and I would have to literally fast forward through the commercials like every time. And I'm not entirely sure the movie did a great job of explaining the concept of what it's like for somebody to turn to the dark side and ultimately become irredeemable. And I think it was a hard concept for me to grasp back then, and it's a hard concept for me to grasp even now. But strangely enough, a Christian metalcore album from 2009 actually explains this concept much more thoroughly than Return of the Jedi did back in 1983. And in case you didn't know from the thumbnail and my annoying social media posts, this episode is all about depravity by A Plea for Purging. I got into a plea for purging back in 2007. Back then, I was almost more of a fan of entire record labels, more so than individual bands. As a Christian hardcore guy, my favorite record labels were obviously Solid State Records and Face Down Records. So every day, I would go to those labels' websites and check and see if they'd signed any new bands. 
And the first thing that caught my eye about a plea for purging was the name of their debut album, which was A Critique of Mind and Thought. And if you've listened to my other episodes, you might have picked up on the fact that I'm something of a pretentious... So one can only imagine how unbearable I was back in 2007. When I was younger, I was more religious, and I had an even more inflated sense of self-importance. So of course, I had to own an album with that title. I like the name of that record so much that I even named my first blog a critique of mind and thought. And that's where I first took a shot at reviewing, you guessed it, video games. I'll be completely honest, a critique of mind and thought is not my favorite plea for purging album. There are definitely a couple of songs on it that I think are pretty cool, such as The Betrayers, as well as that first song. What was that song called? It had this really short title. Oh yeah, that's right. It was called Sons of Vipers. How will you escape from the judgment of hell? And this album had great ideas, but it's kind of a total guitar shred fest, which is a little bit more deeply rooted in traditional heavy metal than like metalcore or hardcore. But it had Andy Atkins more hardcore influenced vocals on it. And so it sounded like a hardcore band hired two guitarists that had only ever listened to Iron Maiden. So it was a weird mishmash of genres. And I mean, that album was all right, I guess, but it isn't really what I think of when I think about a plea for purging. I immediately always go straight for depravity. The first song I ever heard from depravity was Malevolence. And a few things stuck out about this song in particular. First, this is noticeably more professional sounding in the songwriting department as well as the production. This sounds much more produced overall, like it had a bigger budget. And secondly, Andy's vocals sound way bigger and more upfront. He's a full-on vibe on this record, and I'm so here for it. His voice sounds so much more natural and visceral, and not nearly as strained as it did before. And most importantly, this was way heavier than anything off the first record. It sounds more unified overall with its own vision and originality. Its heavier aspects sound more akin to something like the Acacia Strain, more so than like Iron Maiden. But there's still just enough metal shredding in each song for you to be able to tell that it's the same band. And I was most intrigued by the chorus of the song, which is a real earworm in a genre that isn't exactly famous for its amazing choruses. It was one of the first times I had heard something that had no clean vocals in it be this catchy. And anytime I see the cover of this album, the whole satisfy or be satisfied just plays over and over and over again in my head. As well as that like initial guitar noodle that's right up the top. Speaking of the album cover, it's a photo of the band standing in what looks like a swamp dressed in all black suits looking suitably pissed. And as far as I'm concerned, Depravity is the first album where a plea for purging starts sounding like a plea for purging. The rest of the album, which I'll get into, is heavy, angry, dark, melodic, brutal, and depressing. And it ultimately made me feel way more angst than I had any business feeling five years after graduating from high school. In the summer of 2009, I was finally able to catch the band live and in concert when the Scream the Prayer tour rolled into St. Louis. And this was a big tour that featured mostly Christian metal and hardcore bands, hence the name. And it was kind of a who's who of heavy Christian bands at the time. Haste the Day headlined... You know, maybe I should do an episode talking about a Haste the Day album sometime. Eh, nobody probably wants to hear that. 
Anyway, the other bands were very familiar favorites like The Chariot, Project 86, Gwen Stacy, For Today, Sleeping Giant, Corpus Christi, and of course, A Plea for Purging. O Sleeper was also featured on the tour poster, but for some reason they didn't play the St. Louis date. It was essentially an all-day show and felt like a full fest in like a tiny venue. And let me tell you, I have never inhaled as much evaporated sweat as I did that day. Corpus Christi opened up the show and the drummer for Plea was actually filling in on drums for them. And that is some real endurance as he basically just sat in the same spot and started right up when a Plea for Purging played directly after that. And they opened up their set by doing these hilarious aerobics and like dancing. It was really funny and their whole vibe was comedic and playful, but also really, really, really heavy and intense. It's hard to describe, but if you go and see the band play at Furnace Fest this year, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The whole performance gave me a really good feeling about how the rest of the day was going to go. And there are a few other things about that show that I thought were interesting. When Gwen Stacy came out, me and my friends were like still pretty close to the front of the stage, and their singer grabbed me by the head and forced me to headbang along, which was... A little bit awkward, considering I'd never heard a single note of Gwen Stacy's music up to that point. And I also, like, never really checked them out after that. Oops. Uh, let's see. For Today had a 30-minute set and spent 15 minutes of it preaching about Jesus. Then Sleeping Giant came up and did pretty much exactly the same thing. But none of the other bands preached sermons, though, thank God. I don't even remember what songs the chariot played. I just remember guitars and cables flying around everywhere to the point where I actually went away from the stage and like sat down while they were playing because I didn't want to get a bloody nose. But when Project 86 played, I fought my way back to the front and center of the stage. So close to the stage, in fact, that Andrew Schwab's crotch was eye level with me for the entire set. And I know this is the content that you guys all subscribe to hear about. Haste the day ended the night strong, and me and my friends were all pretty much dead by the end of it. And the best part of that show, though, was that I was finally able to buy a legit copy of Depravity for the sweet, sweet asking price of $5. And I'm glad it was so cheap because I was, like, pretty much out of money after spending, like, $300 on merch from all the other bands. And now that I think about it, if only I had saved that money, I could have used it to pay my water bill exactly 13 years later. <laughs> Okay, so that's enough of memory lane, but before we crack open this fine wine from 2009, I want to establish a few ground rules to keep in mind while I'm talking about this record. After reading the lyrics like over and over again all these years later, I have convinced myself that this album is telling a story of some kind. It's not a concept album necessarily, but some of the songs are arranged in such a way that it feels to me like a linear story with a really dark conclusion. Is it a personal story about Andy? Or is it a fictional story not about Andy? Is it about Darth Vader's journey to the dark side? Honestly, I have no real idea. But if Andy's listening to this episode, please reach out and let me know. So just like last week's episode, instead of identifying the author of the lyrics by name, I will continue to refer to him as the narrator. And that just makes it easier to contextualize it as a story if that's what it is. Good? Good.
Depravity starts off with an eerie little instrumental track called Dissension. And it serves as the melodic motif that is repeated at various points throughout the record. It's the mood setter. When you hear that music, it usually means that the mood and the lyrics are going to get darker. And after a minute and a half, this transitions into the song Retribution. And I like how the song starts off kind of smooth and pretty with an almost like liquid sounding flourish before some proto genty riffs come in on top of it. And the song starts off in kind of this anthemic fashion. And by the end of the song, we are in full-on heavy metalcore territory. And it's a good reveal of what the band actually sounds like. This is a repetitive but very solid opener that cements the tone that we can expect from here on out. And lyrically, this song is about skeletons being revealed. Secrets have been found out about somebody, and our narrator is delivering this information in a very angry and accusatory tone. He screams, I can see it. I can feel it. I can smell your fear in the air. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you feel your heart beating faster? And later in the song, he says, Life as you know it is over, and this will be the death of your perfect life. Let this be a true testament of who you really are and what you've done. And all I can say is I really hope I never piss these dudes off. Hope you guys, hope you guys like the episode. The central message is whoever this person is, it's over for them. The jig is up, and this song perfectly articulates that feeling of impending terror for them. You guys thought I was going to say impending doom, didn't you? Malevolence blasts in next and does a great job of keeping the energy level high with that cutting guitar lead just right there on top. This is probably the most instantly recognizable plea song, and for good reason. It's iconic to me at this point. And it's also helped by the fact that it has one of the funniest music videos I've ever seen in my life. When I was doing album prep for this episode, I decided to watch all of Plea's videos, and I specifically asked my wife to watch the Malevolence video with me. And afterwards, she said it was probably her favorite music video she's ever seen. Well, as far as videos that I forced her to watch goes. But you know what? I'll take it. This video is really funny, though, and it follows a coherent storyline about the band ordering a VHS tape that teaches them how to become this huge metal band. And eventually, Andy turns into a literal ego-fueled monster and chases everyone around. It's a really fun and ambitious video that looks like it was filmed with no budget at all, and that is really what makes it good. But the lyrics are not so comedic especially in the context of the story this album seems to be telling. Lyrically, this song is a foreshadowing of where we are going to end up on this journey. And it's an interesting choice to foreshadow this so early on. It's notable that this song is also very aggressive and accusatory. And get used to it, because that mood is not going to go away on this album. I'm going to go ahead and skip to the song Motives next. And this is one of my favorite songs on the record. It has a very jarring and immediate intro, and it conveys this feeling of building rage really effectively. I like how the plea guitar shred complements the brutality of the main riffs on this song, 
And musically, this song is just a straight-up tension builder that eventually alleviates towards the end of the song in a really satisfying way. At the 1 minute and 29 second timestamp, the music and lyrics meld together so well that it honestly takes my breath away. And it makes me feel invincible. Moments like this are specifically the reason I continue to be a heavy music fan to this day. And lyrically, this song seems to be about a woman the narrator knows who gains her self-worth by sleeping around with everyone she can find, including our narrator. But he's not having any of it. He says, it's time you learn this world isn't yours. You waltz around room to room looking for a bed to find worship in. But you're not going to find any worship here. You've knocked on my door too many times. I've heard your screams from the other room. Your motives are as pure as the body you pass around. This song continues the trend of being very angry, accusatory, and dare I even say, judgy. So with the knowledge that this band was a Christian metal band at the time this album came out, I can only assume that the anger on this album originated with the narrator's religious beliefs. And in 2009, I found these lyrics really relatable because I was kind of going through the same sort of thing, which I'll talk about later on in this episode. But for now, I'll just say this. It's hard not to get angry when you're fighting a battle of morality within yourself and nobody around you seems to be taking it seriously. It's like you can either give in to peer pressure or you can try to resist it. And when I was a young man, I reacted to situations like this with a lot of anger because it was easier to do that than to try to deal with it. So in this song, you can definitely feel that anger starting to boil over. And at some point, you have to start asking yourself if your anger and rage is truly righteous or if it's actually hate bubbling up to the surface. And then the song Devourer starts. Well, that answers that question, doesn't it? (laughs) Devourer is absolutely unfiltered rage and hate, which I can absolutely relate to. I'd be lying if I said I haven't blasted this song on repeat while driving home at the end of some particularly horrible day. It's as off the chain as this album gets and was the song that made me a lifelong fan of A Plea for Purging. This song is what me and my friends used to refer to as that real shit. It's also a real turning point in the story this album is telling. This is where the anger in the songs diverts away from its moral high ground. It's a clean break from its holy inspiration. Instead of being accusatory, it's downright threatening as he screams, hate devours me, rage empowers me, fear can't stop me, fear won't stop me, I can't stop this headhunter, I will watch you die. I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. 
and not just the men, but the women and the children too. They're like animals and I slaughtered them like animals. You know, after talking about the acacia strain last week, I knew I was going to have to talk about depravity like right after. While Wormwood was a lesson in the different forms that hate and anger can take on, depravity provides a really cool origin story for that hate and the effect that it can have on somebody, even if that person starts off righteous. Kind of like that idea I brought up during Ramirez about how the actions of other people and his environment he grew up in influenced his transition into a total monster. And granted, this isn't as extreme as all of that, but Depravity's relatability to my life story is eerie to say the least. About halfway through the song, the rage subsides and gives way to this sadness and emptiness as that opening motif returns with some garbled spoken words blended in. And I'll tell you exactly what those words are saying later on in this episode. Up next is a song called Prevaricator, Provocator. Now, prevaricate. I have no idea how to say this word. And regardless of how you pronounce it, the song jumps in guns blazing and picks the tempo back up and admirably gets this album back to status quo. It's another angry and accusatory song about a traitor in the narrator's midst. It starts off with just condemnation and judgment, but eventually leads to the line, I ought to put you in the ground. And later, I will never trust the hands of men, never trust again. And the song Traitor seems to continue in the same vein and seems to be about the same or a similar situation. If all of these songs are about different people, then I feel really bad for our narrator at this point, because betrayal is another one of those things that honestly never gets easier, no matter how much time passes. The top lyric on this song is, They say some things are better left undone. I have to agree. So turn and run like you've never seen my face before. You'll never see it again. And there's a really cool doubling effect on the vocals of this song. And it ends on a really dark note with the words, You're dead to me. You're dead to me, you're dead. Which is then followed by this like super cool but also eerie electronic rendition of that now familiar motif from Dissension. The song Misanthropy continues that hate parade as the rage from Devourer returns as he screams, and now I've become death, ender of all worlds. I am on your tracks. I will end your world. And from a purely meathead metalhead perspective, it is very respectable just how many bangers this album serves up in a row. Other than two notable breaks in the brutality, this record keeps up the pace without overindulging in its more atmospheric elements. But don't worry, they save that for the very end. And what an end it is. Title song Depravity lumbers in like a genty juggernaut and delivers a payload of hate, sadness, isolation, and pure depravity. 
Musically, it's very compelling with these like cold and screaming guitar noises. And once the screaming vocals and the music settles down, the monologue, which we caught a glimpse of in Devourer, is presented in full. And it has that melody from Dissension playing underneath. And I'll be honest, I had a lot of trouble talking about this song. And I had a pretty extreme emotional reaction revisiting it all these years later. So first, I just want to read the lyrics for the whole song in full. And then I'll talk about it after. I am the sheep that got lost, and there is no turning back. I'm mad as hell. There's no place to run. I'm without the one who made me, though I'm not sure I was ever with him. Oh God, oh my God, where are you now? Here's where I stand, removed and cursed. Where is your holy communion now? There is no turning back. I won't be back. I'm clinging loosely to prayers that lately I feel as if have fallen upon deaf ears. Where are you? Where are you as my faith wavers? Where are you in this blinding haze? And where were you? Where were you when I would seek to find joy in my trials but found no peace? Where were you when I did not doubt your love but could not feel it? And why won't you answer me? Why won't your presence pierce this deafening silence I've been screaming through for so long? For so long my voice has grown weary in your absence. And where your voice once spoke so clearly there are no words. The cup you once filled so abundantly has run dry. And where your light once led so assuredly I feel so unguided. Still I press on. For I have felt you in the past guiding me in my desire to change, finding a path through falling tears. It seems as if I have turned my back and walked away, seeing my reflection and not recognizing my own face, not knowing why you've allowed me to get here. Though there was a time when the weight of your reality brought me to my knees, when my shame and my convictions found my heart crying out for change, when trying times gave way to white seasons, and my fears would flee the resounding sound of your voice beating within my chest, your blood coursing through my veins, purifying and breathing life into this lifeless body. It now seems as though I have let the sun set on that season. The world you freed me from now crushes me under its heel, and this flesh your spirit once cleansed is now crawling, festering, rotting from the inside, numb to your touch, calloused, closed off. I feel alone and overlooked. I don't know if I'll ever find my way back. I'm clinging loosely to prayers that lately I feel as if I've fallen upon deaf ears. Where are you? Where are you as my faith wavers? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. As a conclusion to the album, I think it's a personal acknowledgement that the anger spawned by betrayal and unmet expectations of supposed fellow believers has converted that righteous anger 
into pure misanthropy, which had the unintended side effect of disconnecting the narrator from his original source of inspiration, which was supposed to be a loving god. But the problem lies in a fundamental incompatibility between the idea of forgiveness and justice. To bring it back to Star Wars again, I think this album explores the concept of somebody changing from the light and dark side of the Force much more effectively than the movie did. Because it's not an instant change. It's a series of bad situations, intentions that are not fulfilled, expectations that are unmet, that lead to bad mindsets, bad takes, bad decisions, and ultimately permanently bad changes. Oftentimes it's not until you turn around and look back that you see how far off the path you've gone. And I think that's the message of depravity. However, I want to add this before I end the episode and go into the outro. If you remember my Dead Poetic episode from last season, I spoke at the end about how after high school, a lot of my peers had left the Christian culture that was baked into us in our early years. And I'd mentioned that despite their turning away, that I actually doubled down on it really hard. And over the years, I watched nearly everyone who I had shared faith with turn away from it, one by one. Some of them didn't outright stop believing, but their lifestyle was often, at least in my mind, incompatible with what the teachings of the Bible were. And at first, this just made me sad, and I would just pray for everyone. But as a young man, I was subject to the same temptations that everybody else was. And after a while, those temptations were so strong that I legitimately felt like I was fighting a spiritual battle. And that if I could just hold fast and stay true to the faith, that eventually a blessing was implied by my struggles. And as I grew older, though, that blessing didn't seem to come. And I started resenting the people around me who had chosen to stop shouldering that same burden that was crushing me into the ground. And eventually I started to hate them because it seemed like they were all flourishing while I was still trapped in my little corner of the world fighting the good fight. And it was so easy in high school to tell everybody how God had saved me from this world and that I was delivered and wiped clean because I honestly hadn't been in the world for very long. I had yet to experience true hardship, true betrayal, or true pain. However, I, just like everybody else on this planet, would soon experience nearly every single one of those things. And eventually, I got so depressed, negative, toxic, and hateful that even though good things happened, like getting married and having four beautiful children, I was just so caught up in my own personal emotional shit that I just couldn't see it, much less acknowledge it. And, and I had trouble talking about this song in particular because I also turned my back and walked away from my faith a while ago. And I didn't do so, like, obviously, because I was ashamed by that lack of belief. And to be honest, I'm still ashamed of it sometimes. I worried so much about what other people were going to think. And I wouldn't call myself a stone-cold non-believer, but it's only been in the past couple of years that I've started feeling like I could have faith again. I feel tinges of it now and again, like little pins and needles you feel when your foot's waking up. Because like I said in that episode last season, I genuinely want to believe. And I genuinely want to live my life in the way that I was taught to live it. 
but even as of the recording of this podcast, I still struggle with it. But it's also just something that I have to work out on my own. And I'm only sharing this to illustrate the power of music. Because it's not very often that you encounter a piece of media that perfectly describes what you're going through or what you've been through. This is a subject that I really spend a lot of time actively trying to avoid because of how it makes me feel. But I found it very comforting to know that somebody else shared this experience with me around the same time that I was experiencing it. And I even got some great music out of it in the process. And so I want to end this with a quote from a Plea for Purging song from their final album, The Life and Death of a Plea for Purging, from 2011. And the song is called A Fight for Peace, where Andy says, We are all the same. We fight the same fight with different faces in different places. Demons by other names. They haunt us at night with different faces in different places. I don't know about you, but I take comfort in that. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And a question that I get asked a lot is, Dan, how can we help you? How can we help the show? And the best thing that you can do to help this show is to make sure you're sharing the episodes if you find them interesting. Make sure to share them with your friends and family because odds are if you like an episode, there's somebody else out there that'll like it too. So if this show has value to you, and you think it'll have value to somebody else, please make sure you're sharing it. Word of mouth is really the super soldier serum when it comes to growing a podcast. So make sure you're getting the word out. If you guys are looking for me online, I can be found on Facebook under DFT's Dungeon. I can be found on Twitter at DFT9000. I can be found on Instagram at DFT Dungeon. Or you can just send me an old-fashioned email at DFTDungeon at gmail.com. But if you want to hang out and talk and share memes and talk about music, we have a Discord server for that, and that's probably the quickest way you can get a hold of me if you have a question or you want to chat or something like that. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you to our Discord server. And if you want to support the show financially, I do have a Patreon, which is also linked down below. I just want to thank you guys so much for listening to these episodes and for being encouraging and for being just a great community. I'm, I'm really thankful for you guys. And, uh, there's definitely been a lot of times in the past seven or eight months where I've been like, do I even want to keep doing the podcast or not? Your guys's enthusiasm and your encouragement has helped me out greatly. So thank you so much for that. So with that out of the way, this is the end of the episode. So I will see you guys again here next week. Mm-hmm.